Welcome to The Follow-Up, a weekly podcast that goes in-depth into projects recently reviewed on Brand New, featuring conversations with the designers and sometimes their clients, uncovering the context, background, and design decisions behind the work. Hi, this is Brian Gomez-Palacio, and welcome to episode 34 of The Follow-Up. This week, we're following up on Pinterest, which probably needs no introduction, but for the record, it is, in their own words, a visual discovery engine. In less branded terms, it is an image sharing and social media service that enables the saving and discovery of ideas across every imaginable subject. Publicly traded since 2019 and headquartered in San Francisco, California, the company has over 2,200 employees in offices across the globe. More than 400 people visit the platform every month to explore and experience the over 240 billion images and videos that have been saved since its introduction in 2010. The project, designed in collaboration by Pinterest's in-house team with London UK-based Made Thought, as well as with Grilly Type, on the design of a custom type family, was posted on brand new on May 12, 2021. You can pull it up on your browser at bit.ly slash bnpodcast034. That is bit dot l-y slash bnpodcast034, all in lowercase. This week, we are joined by Simon Blockley, core brand lead at Pinterest, James Hurst, global creative director at Pinterest, Alistair Webb, creative director at Made Thought, and Noah Loy, partner at Grilly Type. At 44 minutes, this conversation runs a little longer than usual, but as you will hear, we cover a lot of ground. Starting with the need to convey Pinterest's evolution over 10 years and reflect the refined company's mission to bring everyone the inspiration to create a life they love. As we learn, giving visual shape to quote-unquote inspiration is no easy task but made thoughts self-acknowledged, messy, yet thoughtful to the rest of us approach, paved the way for a flexible, expandable, and well, inspiring visual platform. To add to the complexity, Grilly Type was charged with designing a geometric sans serif that felt new, fresh, and unique. No easy task, given that over 87,500 retail and custom geometric sans serifs have already been designed. Grilly's ability to deliver on both the technical and emotional requirements of the typeface was the result of close collaboration with the brand and product teams that yielded a surprisingly fresh geometric sans serif with killer italics. Finally, we get to hear about when, how, and where we will eventually see this work, which was a question that remained lingering in the air after the post on Brand New. To find out the answer and hear all about this project, let's listen in as Armin follows up with Simon, James, Alistair, and Noah. Hello, everyone. Today, we're here to get our mood board on as we talk about Pinterest and we have an international panel from exciting cities worldwide, San Francisco, London, New York, and of course, me from the exciting metropolis of Bloomington, Indiana. James, Simon, Alistair, Noel, thank you for joining me on the follow-up today. Yeah, thank you for having us. So excited to be here. Thanks for asking us, Simon. 
Yeah, absolutely. Excited to talk about Pinterest again. Thanks for having me here. We have four gentlemen on the call, so if you could each introduce yourself so that our audience can know who's who. I'm Simon, and I lead the core brand team at Pinterest. I'm James. I'm the Global Creative Director at Pinterest. I'm Alistair. I'm one of the Creative Directors at MadeThought in London. This is Noel, and I'm partner with the Tide Foundry, Greenly Tide. And actually, I'm calling in from Lucerne, Switzerland. Oh, even better. (laughs) That sounds more exotic than Bloomington, Indiana. (laughs) Bloomington sounds more exotic, but Lucerne is a pretty nice location, too. Simon and James. Unlike most projects we talk about on the podcast, there's no logo before and after here, which usually helps draw a line in the sand in a company's evolution. This project was about building an identity around the existing logo. So, what led Pinterest to want to take on this challenge now? And also by now, when did this project start? This project started loosely in 2019. What led up to it was an extensive research and strategy process that led to the reforming of Pinterest's company mission to bring everyone the inspiration to create a life they love. So with that new mission, that sparked the need to rethink how the brand presents itself to the world to be that of a company that inspires, encourages exploration, action, and really a central focus on each individual self. Actually, one caveat before we get too deep into the conversation is we must say that this project was led by a guy named Andreas Helen, who was the former design director at Pinterest. He's actually now starting his own creative practice in Sweden called Strand Inform, alongside Sarah Strand, who was also another key player in this project. Just an advance warning that you will likely hear this group name Andreas a lot. And we just want to make sure that we're not taking credit for someone else's extremely talented hard work. I think we all miss Andreas and Sarah enormously. But why did Pinterest move ahead and start to really think about its brand? And I think we're in a really interesting position because Pinterest is a decade old, 10 years of building this brand. And it's really started to crystallize and define its role and its purpose in the world. And that mission, bringing everyone the inspiration to create a life they love, comes with some massive changes that have happened over 10 years of stuff going on on the internet. So it's such an exciting time for us as a brand to really think about what is it that we do? How do we show up and how do we make sure we add value to the ways that people might be using tools on the internet today in a way that has changed over 10 years? That was sort of the challenge to get going and get really meaningful and be really conscious of what it is that we do as a brand to make sure that we step up to that challenge. It is amazing how much has changed in what is relatively such little time. 10 years is not really that long, but in internet years, so much has changed. I have been using Pinterest forever, seeing the evolution of the platform over those years. You know, it goes on par with what everybody else is experiencing, but with a tool that is so relevant and used by designers around the world, I think it is interesting to hear about that realization that, yes, a lot has changed in that time. In a weird way, why it's kind of the dream place to work. We've got this big legacy of building a tool that is really, really functionally really useful, especially if you're a designer. I think we're probably all guilty of building one too many Pinterest boards, myself very much included. Thinking about what the future of inspiration is and how you make that into something that's meaningful for people to actually go away and do something and improve their lives in some way. There isn't a playbook for that. You know, we've got to ask a bunch of really dumb questions to get to some really smart answers. And I think this rebrand is the start of that journey for us. Got it. Alistair, since your involvement in the project preceded Simon and James, 
Why can you tell us about the early stages of this project and how did May Thought get involved? We got approached by Pinterest as part of a wider process. Some of the early sort of interactions were conversations with our founders, Ben and Paul, and Evan and Andreas, more specifically. Part of the pitch process to win the job, the guys obviously asked us for provocations and the thoughts around the platform, around the brand. So we covered kind of everything from actually how the brand should feel different and feel like the product and like the experience more, right the way down to things that we'll get onto later around typographic choices, colour, sort of the fundamentals of any brand system. And then true Pinterest style, part of that ask was to create a board that really captured actually this idea of inspiration that's inclusive for all. We went in true made sort of fashion, slightly above and beyond, and did three boards that were themed around exploring, dreaming, and discovering, and went pretty deep on how big those boards got to really kind of try and represent actually the super diverse cross-section of people that use the platform and interact with it on a daily basis. As sort of pitches and RFPs go, it's actually quite a fun one to just dive back into a platform you use every day and actually just really think about your view on the world, how you create and start the ideation process of really how you can transform a brand to speak to more people um, in more meaningful ways. So meta to use a Pinterest board to work on a Pinterest project for Pinterest. It's uh, it's kind of like the perfect storm of Pinterestness. And the result shows that. I think there's something very unique about the result that reflects how Pinterest is used. But we'll get to that in a little bit. This may be a hard question to answer, but do you know, Alistair, why Pinterest ended up working with a firm in London, with Pinterest being based in San Francisco? It's not to put anyone on the spot. I'm always curious about how businesses choose design firms. I can't shed much light on the actual decision being made. I know Evan and our founders got on really well and I think had a shared sort of vision of the humanity behind the platform which I think really struck a chord between them collectively. There's also Byron, who used to work at Pinterest, who is part of that brand team process. He's an expat, but like James, so I think had an affinity with the Made Thought legacy in our portfolio. So I think that's partly where some of the connection and recommendations certainly came from. I mean, as someone that's sort of looking at this with the benefit of hindsight, you know, one of the reasons why I suspect many people listening to this really admire Made Thought is that Maythor is in one of the few agencies that understand how to convey an idea with a real lightness of touch and with a real sort of breath of fresh air. And when we're talking about inspiration and at its core, something that isn't solid, there isn't like a physical thing at the end of it, it's just an idea. We needed to have a group of people that knew how to play with that sort of flexible, it's like trying to sculpt with gas or something like that. <laughs> I think the result kind of shows why Maythor in this instance, I think really stepped up to the challenge to show how you actually take something really abstract, like how do you build a brand around inspiration and make that meaningful that people understand their role in it, but give it in a way that sort of helps us build comprehension and coherence over time. That's a good endorsement for May Thought. Noel, we're going to talk more in depth about the type family later on, but just to start setting up a timeline of events here for me and for our listeners, when and how did Greeley Type get involved? I think I met James once in London and we really bonded together over a shared memory of spending parts of our childhood in Switzerland. And apparently we had the same cowhide rucksack in primary school. We drank a few pints of beers and I think one or two years later he got in touch with me and asked me if I would like to propose working with Pinterest. And then Pinterest decided going with Grillytype as a foundry and we kicked off the project, I think, beginning of 2020. 
At the beginning, I was mainly working with Andreas on the typeface, and I'm happy to talk more about the progress later on. Just to like go a bit further on that cowhide bag, because yeah, that was a really meaningful moment in my life. If there's anyone else out here who grew up in Switzerland, I'm sure you probably remember these cowhide satchels. They were kind of the thing that every child wore to school. My parents moved me back to England when I was eight years old. And if you've ever walked into an English school wearing a cowhide bag, I think I went from a school that had 30 kids in it to a school that had about 2,000 kids in it. And that cowhide bag was one way to make yourself very much the, the focus of a lot of taunts. It's been something that Noel has had to counsel me through. In Switzerland, it's the other way around. If you don't show up with a cowhide bag, you're really an outsider. It's unacceptable. <laughs> There's so much fascinating material here for a full episode about cowhide satchels. We'll have to abandon that topic and maybe leave it for another time. Alistair, you started by doing those Pinterest boards and taking that challenge. How did you proceed from there? What was the actual ask for you in terms of the deliverables, since it's such an abstract project or such an abstract product to sell? The deliverables actually, and no credit to Andreas and the team really, were incredibly well-structured. So what could be, you know, to James's point, sort of sculpting with gas, a very abstract sort of idea and offering um, to interpret and communicate. I think the fundamental thing in my mind was really actually this shift from being about products to being about purpose and crystallizing that purpose. So improving the comprehension of it, you know, to James and Simon's points, and really reconnect with the idea of inspiration. That was, I think, the sort of genesis of the idea and the ask. And then we obviously sort of went through a relatively kind of structured process of going from concept to visual personality and look and feel into then actually how that translates into the ecosystem that then becomes the toolkit for the brand team to work with going forward, which had quite an extensive amount of deliverables in regard to obviously all the activities that Pinterest do, all the content needs they have. So actually a really fun and exciting sort of canvas to get stuck into and play with really. This is a good segue to talk about the brand team, but I also just want to mention in thinking about now you have to brand the purpose of Pinterest as opposed to the product, because the product sort of has branded itself and has proven its usefulness and what purpose it serves. But now sort of elevating how the audience interprets and associates with Pinterest, that is an exciting challenge. So going back to the brand team, using that as a segue to Simon and James, I know that Pinterest has a robust brand team, and I'm sure that played a role in how this project was framed originally, and maybe that's something that you'll have to channel your co-workers from the past. Was there a pre-established definition of the roles and responsibilities that made thought and the Pinterest team would have in relationship to the project? I think above all, the defined roles were that we wanted MateDot to not really think too much in terms of restrictions and really have them focus on a real true North Star vision for the brand and how we can encapsulate that feeling of inspiration and without leaning too heavily on you know product UI and whatnot, but something that can really capture that feeling with the knowledge that we do have a very capable brand team on our ends that could execute and scale the vision because I think there's a definitely a tendency with large brand systems like a company at the scale of Pinterest to try to be overly rigid and make sure that everything falls under a certain level of consistency, which we obviously want. But we also wanted to ensure it's, it's, that, it's that balance of how do we also make sure that this is very loose and inspiring and how can we do that in a way that is scalable, but also very interesting. So primarily just make sure that they didn't feel like they were handcuffed in any way 
too many restrictions and that we could help find ways to scale, develop tools, resources to make sure that we can bring these ideas to life. Being given the permission to really, truly think freely was really exciting for us. And we often talk about, which sounds like sort of a counterintuitive term, but our intentional naivety as a business and not knowing is sometimes our greatest power. You know, we're not shackled or influenced by day-to-day needs and concerns and sort of anxieties around using a brand, which I think particularly in like the concept phase actually gives you the right mindset to actually approach it with the greatest degree of creativity. So there's no restrictions imposed actually just really play and explore and then go through the process of rationalizing that to a workable system. Yeah, I think that's the biggest benefit of any agency coming into the orbit of any company, the agency not being shackled by the internal mechanics of what that company is going through and being able to shine a light on problems that people within a company have probably looked at a lot of times and be able to shine a light on it in a way that throws some surprise and throws some serendipity at how we could resolve something. One of the things that I think is really pertinent to Pinterest is, unlike a lot of brands, the thing that we're delivering, the thing that we provide to the world is really unique to each individual. My inspiration will be different to yours, Armin, will be different to yours, Simon, will be different to yours, Alice, will be different to yours, Noel. And I think that as a brand, we've got to know how to flex to make it not an imposing statement of, hey, this is Pinterest talking, but actually be really generous and give people a palette of ways of engaging with this brand that is unique and as interesting as each of them. And I think that's the exciting journey that we've all been on is trying to define where does that work? How do we hold that together? And when does that make sense? And when do we need to be a a little bit more controlled with how we operate as a brand? That's definitely quite a challenge. There was one thing actually that came to mind from kind of that early relationship. It was how well actually the Pinterest team really changed our perception of the platform. As users, you know, we use it on a daily basis, interact all the time, really helps to shape and inform our creativity. But there was an analogy that Andreas used around Pinterest and the home. This idea that obviously Pinterest can often be perceived as social media. This idea that almost other social media platforms imagine a journey from the curb into the house. And Simon's heard this one before, I think. This idea that actually other social media platforms are sort of advertising and promoting in quite a shallow surface way. But Pinterest exists within the home. It's curated objects that are very special to people. They have an intimate connection with and they really go on to actually inform what they do with their lives. Even those small conversations um, that sort of sit outside predefined roles. But I think that education process or re-education process about what Pinterest is and should mean to people was certainly really interesting beginning to the project. Yeah, that's an interesting way of approaching such a difficult challenge. And speaking of having no having those shackles removed, let's talk about what comes across as May Thought's biggest contribution to the project, which is the tableaus. And I don't mean that you didn't contribute anything else. Clearly you did. But just that this is the most visible and visual manifestation of your involvement. So how did those come about? And yeah, I can get a sense of how this came about based on what we've heard so far. But let's uh, hear from you. I would say the honest answer is they are very reflective of our exceptionally messy process when we get into creativity in the studio. I mean, we obviously, you know, like a lot of studios, go on a journey whenever we're engaging with brands, starting the creative process. And we felt that those tableaus really represented actually what it was to engage with the product. Things like the imperfection, the journey that people go on in their life and the inspiration they take on board and try and respond to and develop from is almost never perfect. The whole thing around Pinterest fails, that was part of the big conversation. So actually really revealing the imperfection in, and beauty and inspiration was part of the catalyst for that concept. And then obviously in terms of sort of trying to rationalize that into a brand system, we then looked at actually different ways to interpret that idea of the tableau, 
inspiration coming together and a more immersive world that really challenged actually the two-dimensional perception of tech. The sort of confluence of those ideas was really actually where we found the most fertile territory to play around with and hopefully the most flexibility for the brand going into the future. It must have been rewarding that finally your messy process paid off in something useful. I'm not saying that it hasn't in the past, but you know, there's a direct result from that messy process that translated into these tableaus. Simon and James, on your end, how did you receive those tableaus? Did you receive the idea as brand asset to carry forward for years to come? We are all so lucky and blessed, I think, at the moment, because there is so much amazing art direction. And I think the standard of communication, of visual communication is so high. You know, every day I walk down the road and I see bits of work and I feel so excited at the amazing talent, the quality of the work that exists. And I think the expectations to do great work get higher and higher, which I find really exciting. And I think the thing that the tableaus do is it gives us an ability to take ownership of a really complicated idea without having to be really sort of direct about it. Almost by saying less, right, by showing sort of an expansive collection of images and inviting other people to interpret it. It's almost like the ability to give people a tool to understand what world of inspiration means to them. It doesn't matter where they are or what they're doing. I think it gives people a little moment to marinate in that. And I think that's a real gift for us to be able to use. And it's a real pleasure to put stuff out in the world. So when you start to see lots of it together, it feels like it's a brand communicating comprehensively. I think there's a tendency for us to use the visual language of the actual Pinterest experience of the board collections and your pin grids, which are a very clean and organized process, which is very intentional. But if you look behind of what James and Alistair are speaking to of what's happening inside of your head, it's such a perfect way of having a flexible language to speak to what is not just made thought in the mess. It's all of us in that mess. And that's what's really happening inside of our heads. And so it's such a, a fun way to bring that to life in various ways for different people. It enables us to do more than the story we could otherwise tell through things like standard boards and pins, but actually, you know, dip into rabbit holes and alternate self-portraits in a way of people. But there's just so much we could do with it that got us really excited that there's a lot of different routes we can go down and tell different narratives. It has been really fun for us to experiment with. The tableaus turned out really great, and I think it's a nice respite, as you said, from that gridded approach. It's more loose, it's more free, it allows to make more interesting connections, whether they have a real purpose or not, but just have that sense of discovery and exploration and inspiration. Those are a great asset for this project. Now, let's turn our attention to the typeface. Noel, it's your time to shine. I know you've been quiet for a while, but it's time for you to take center stage. What direction did you get from Pinterest and May Thought? And from that direction, what stood out to you as having the most potential to create something unique? The briefing at the beginning, as you can imagine, it's a little bit difficult because the typeface should be used for both branding and product. It was clear from the beginning that the genre of the typeface should be a sans serif, and namely a geometric sans serif. And that's a genre that is quite full of already existing typefaces. And the objective of the project was to have both very functional typeface, but also a typeface that would be recognizable as Pinterest typeface. Before we actually kicked off the project, we also discussed this. We decided to do two slightly different versions of the same typeface. One typeface being called UI, so user interface specific typeface. And the other typeface is the branding typeface that should sort of carry more of personality of the typeface. 
We like the challenge about this specific project because there's really a little wiggle room within that genre to do things that are too crazy, which is a tough restriction to do something that's recognizable. And on top of that, it wasn't only the branding team that got involved in the project, but also the product team with Pinterest. And they had, of course, different kind of requirements for making sure that the typeface is very legible and so on. And I think audience of social media platforms are pretty particularly picky when they get confronted with a new typeface. So you have to kind of swap one typeface for the other without people getting too hung up on details of the typeface. And we did like kind of creative brief at the beginning where we listed all the functional aspects of the typeface, like geometric, sans serif, and so on. And then the other thing, which is actually the more complex and interesting part for us, is all the personality traits the typeface should have. We like to imagine a typeface like a person. It has like its unique personality and the personal aspects of Pinterest Sans or the typeface that will later become Pinterest Sans was it should be approachable, simple, personal and modern. For us, it was really a challenge within a very simple and modern look. How can we infuse all like this personality to make the typeface not bland or boring or too much like something that already exists? We really like that. And usually the project begins with also educating a bit the client in how we translate all those personality aspects in a typeface. It's a really niche kind of profession within design. You basically have to take very emotional and complex feelings that the client wants, and you have to put that in into a bunch of sequential two-dimensional sculptures. We had very, very close collaboration with Pinterest. I would usually say if Andreas wouldn't have been so nice and knowledgeable and good designer, it would have been a horrible project, probably, because he got very much involved into the details. Actually, so is Simon, by the way, but in a good way, because I could tell that he really paid attention to the details. And it was really important for him that the typeface is ownable for Pinterest. And also he did a good job in bringing the entire team on board. Uh, meaning like the whole product team and also uh, management and so on. So they would be happy with the result. Whenever a company or corporation introduces a proprietary geometric sense or humanist sensor, if I always roll my eyes because it looks like something that you could buy off the rack and, you know, you get that sense like, oh, they're just trying to sidestep the licensing fees. When I first read Pinterest Sands, I again rolled my eyes because that's sort of my gut reaction. But after I saw it, it's like there's something really unique and different and special that separates this from others. So I do think that you were able to channel all of those uh, personal attributes in a unique way that is extremely hard with so many sensors in the market at the moment. You mentioned working with the brand team and the product team. How did that process work in terms of sending proofs, testing it? You alluded that it was a little bit hard and Andreas being really nice about it. But how did that process go about in terms of the back and forth and more or less how long it took? First thing I started is I started the back channel with Andreas. So I would talk with him before presentation went into bigger groups. So he would already a little bit know what's coming to him. He really expressed that it's important for him that it's an open collaboration. We started the project with opening it up as much as we could. We basically designed a design space with two extremes, one being like a very constructed 
very Bauhausy geometric kind of static looking idea of a geometric sans serif toward more like kind of grotesque geometric sans serif. We took a lot of ideas from Adrian Frutiger, Swiss type designer that liked to bring together geometry and also human intervention to a very calligraphically inspired geometric sensor. This basically covered the entire range of what you could do. And then we said, you have basically from zero to 10, that's the space we can open up for you. Where do you think we should land? And then we gradually narrowed it down more and more and more until we really shaped the character of the typeface that we wanted in the end for the brand typeface. That was the first stage, mainly working together with the branding team. And then the second stage was getting involving the product team, which made it even more interesting because then they came and said, yeah, but we have issues with this, this and that. And we basically adjusted the brand typeface to fit their requirements. And then the product team realized that actually those presentations are kind of fun and they could also put their own individual stamp on the project. One member from the product team, Sergio, he got very emotional about the letter S for some reason. So we have maybe six different iterations of the S. And he always said, yeah, I feel like ah, I should be. It felt like at some point also like a self-help group of designers where we shared our feelings about typographic characters. It got really nerdy, but, you know, still in a, like a respectable way. It wasn't tedious. I actually appreciated the involvement of the entire team because it meant as you said, Pinterest didn't just want to like save licensing fees. They actually wanted to build something great. Well, there's something that Noel has just said that I don't think Noel knows it. So I'll lift a little, little bit about some stuff that happened at Pinterest Towers. <laughs> it's funny that you pulled up the S as well, because one of the things that I love about working at Pinterest is an open book. Like everyone is often, you know, that board mentality of just building boards. We do that in the way that we work. And we have a room in Brannan Street just before we all had to unfortunately get locked down and start working from home that just became sort of the place where the type started to develop. And there was an amazing day where I walked into this room and it's a huge, huge meeting room. And Andreas had pasted up every single possible variation of an S. And we went through (laughs) really thinking about at what point does it lose its calligraphic quirkiness and sort of the charm, you know, the personality that's sort of embedded in it. And I really have really loved, I hope that we've been a good find to the Gritty Type team because I've really loved how much food there's been to marinate in and how many tools you've given us to have really, really, you're right, they are quite nerdy conversations, but I'm really proud of how everyone sort of piled in and really shared. You start talking about type very quickly, it becomes a self-help group. It was a really, really important process, I think, for us as a team to get to know each other, to get this typeface into a place where we felt like it represented the ambition for the brand. And what you're mentioning about like where you mentioned just like a tipping point with the S and I think building a geometric sans serif typeface has kind of a little bit this tipping point. If you make it too geometric, it will look too static and too bleak and not like warm enough. And if you make it too funky and dynamic, it will look not serious enough. So you have to kind of find the sweet spot between the two. And you can only do that by really getting intense details, which as a Swiss graphic designer is like, it's basically what I do all day long. So I think it's also nice for me to have seen that other designers that are not maybe that much into type, they could all of a sudden see emotions coming to life just by looking at simple shapes. And then it gets even more complex. You put those shapes in sequence and look at them after one another. And of course, constantly looking at how would Pinterest, the word Pinterest look in the typeface and so on. 
to add one other element to what made this such an interesting process was we would go through these very detailed, like microscopic interpretations of each letter and investigations and then arrive at something we felt worked. And then there was the next step of, well, how does this work within our current brand or the brand that we're, we're, we're trying to utilize this for? And I think that that was the other key challenge for us to overcome was we would have these subjective kind of feelings of, you know, what is the best version of the S? I think the A was another key one. And after going through this and saying, okay, well, how does this work within the tableaus and all of these other items that we're working with? I think what we gravitate towards might have too much personality and it competes with the larger brand vision, trying to then balance the two back. Like, is it, you know, a little bit closer to the geometric side? And yeah, it was definitely quite a puzzle to figure out what is the best balance of it all. And I think like Armin, what you were saying, that was another key item we all had in mind was we're not doing this to just create something that we can call Pinterest Sands, but actually something that can really nail each item of what we wanted to accomplish and feel like something that's truly unique to us and can perform not just for our current brand ecosystem, but also for any other future interpretations of it too. Because that was another big part was seeing, well, how could this work for other exercises that are completely outside of where our brand is currently going? Could this still live? Could this still be successful if we did something completely different with it? And that was another exciting challenge for us to get our hands dirty into. Well, Noel, I think you have a spin-off business on your hand, sort of a self-help through type design for large corporations. I think there's something there that could be a nice niche for Groovy Type to expand in. And Alistair, did Thought have any involvement in the design of Pinterest Sense, or were you just more to the sidelines in this part of the process? The original sort of conceptual starting point. So one of the big things for us was we called it and termed it in our original concepts a forward weight. So this idea of taking the palette to represent actually the progressive nature of the platform to sort of complicate Noel's job, a truer talent that actually had real character, but equally, as Noel said, felt approachable, simple, and had a humanity to it. That was our involvement, really, coming up with that concept, and that that would sort of be the, I guess, the hero typographic styling within the Pinterest identity. But then, yeah, all credit to the Pinterest team and Noel to get it over the line, really. Which, as subtle as that suggestion was, it makes a huge difference in how different the project feels. I think a lot of identity projects shy away from italic sans serifs, and I think the fact that you had such a nice one with real true italics, not just a slant, I think it really <laughs> added to the whole aesthetic of the identity and how well it played off of the tableaus. To build on, I think what Made Thought did a great job of doing is helping frame the entire brand system around potential, about what's to come, about what people are planning. And I think when you take the simplicity of that, the idea that the typeface is actually an italic and sort of playing to the idea of anticipation of what you're going to do and sort of playing with that forward momentum, if we can stay true to that, then it becomes a really simple system to imagine, okay, this is how it needs to grow when we start to think of these new things. And I think that's one of the things that we've already enjoyed getting into the details on trying to be really honest with ourselves. Like, are we deviating from the truest way of representing that and bringing that into the world? Switching to another element of the identity that I thought was pretty interesting, or Pinteresting, sorry, I won't do that again. <laughs> it was the use of the flat red pens. Where did those come from? I mean, I know where they came from, but what was the decision to elevate them into a more formal brand asset? So they were really, I guess, a product of two streams of thought. 
there was obviously a lot of conversations at the beginning around the significance of that and almost the ubiquity of the pin as an icon. Finding that balance with how much you could affect it, how much you could reinterpret it without it losing its meaning was quite an important part of the process. Playing back to really that idea of Pinterest being about immersive worlds that have a dimensionality to them, even though you're interacting with them through a flat two-dimensional interface. Taking the pin and giving it a three-dimensional form, but then viewing it in a two-dimensional lens actually creates this interesting tension between almost the interaction of the user with the product and the world that they create and immerse themselves in and surround themselves within their own boards. The initial thinking behind how we could transform that icon with subtlety and respect for it, um, but still be able to present it in an exciting um, way that felt fresh for the brand. I don't know how many people know about it, but what we're talking about is a particular push pin icon that's kind of been secondary mark for the brand over the years that was designed by Susan Kerr. It's a pin that just stands at an upright flat angle. And we thought, well, this could be a great foundation for us to play with. And since this brand, I mean, we haven't really talked so much about the color aspect of it too, but between the tableaus and this kind of infinite contextual approach to color, the push pins provided a nice way to ground everything and tie it all back together and really reinforce that top level brand ownership when we needed to. In the end, it ended up being something that, like Alistair's talking to, it wasn't just a way of putting a corporate stamp on it, but actually adding this other layer that was really fun and adds this element of personality to it. Just in the way these pins can move and have their own little life to them really adds this other element so we can play with the levers of the brand as well. And maybe we don't always need the tableaus and don't always need to play with color. And sometimes those pins on their own can add this other element of life. It's a really interesting almost ephemerality for those pins as well. The idea of transitioning from a two-dimensional icon to a three-dimensional form almost gave them the quality of being able to pick them up and start pinning. A little bit of a catalyst to actually start pinning, creating boards and engaging with the product. So you have the tableaus, you have the push pins, you have the color palette, which we didn't talk about, but it's a wonderful color palette. It's expensive, it's happy, it's optimistic. But there's one nagging question that I had and that some of the commenters on Brand New echoed, which is, where do we see this? Who sees this? And with what purpose do they see it? Is it for promotion purposes, for marketing purposes, for driving traffic? What, when, how? This has actually been one of the more common questions and reactions. We ourselves here, when we onboard new team members and creative partners, and we walk them through our kind of comprehensive brand onboarding of all of this, they say, wow, this is so great. Why haven't I seen this out in the world? What's the deal? And I think the primary answer is our first priority over the past year since we finished this project with MadeThought was to make sure that we could create the proper tools, guidelines and resources and whatnot to really scale this vision before making this kind of splash of introducing it to the world. So now that we've done all of this and we've got our foundations in order and we've developed tools to help scale all of this, um, we're starting to bring it to life with some of our larger brand pillars like campaigns, events. We had an event in March of this year called Pinterest Presents, which I think the majority of the work that you've seen that was featured on Brand New was actually made for this event and used in this event. So that is one of the primary touch points right now that our team did an amazing job of bringing that all together and bringing it to life. It's a really fun project. So I think right now, for the most part, it's within the brand world. 
the next big thing that we want to do. And similarly, I saw a lot of people were curious about this as well. How does this live in Pinterest itself as a product? Where am I going to see that? And I think the big thing that we wanted to keep in mind is that, you know, this is our way of interpreting the products through a different lens, a more human lens. And so it's a tricky subject of, well, then how do you take an interpretation of Pinterest, bring it through a brand lens, and then bring it back into Pinterest itself, the product. And that's something that's been a fun challenge that we're currently working very closely with the product team to do. And there's a lot of interesting things that we've found of how that can come to life that I'm hoping the world will see very soon. But I would say the primary, at least, foundation will be the typeface, the UI typeface to really bridge those two worlds. James and I have talked a lot about this, that our primary goal for this project is to create a singular Pinterest experience. Like We don't want it to be that there's an experience in the product and then a different experience through brand, that really it should be one cohesive thing. And so that's absolutely where we want this to land very soon. We've talked a lot publicly about how we're starting to create tools to enable creators to come to the platform and create content that's native to the platform. And the way that that content works and is unique to Pinterest and the role that it plays in people's lives. And then there's a bunch of practical tools. You can now do stuff on Pinterest that you couldn't do before. The whole Pinterest experience is kind of changing and kind of evolving and getting really rich and exciting. All of this brand work is the start of that journey for how we introduce that to the world. And it's really difficult to have like a definite answer about how much of this will be Pinterest because I don't think it, it is. And that was never its intention. Its intention was to try to sum up and encapsulate the experience of Pinterest rather than become like the, the experience of using Pinterest. As Simon said, you know, we've started to introduce it at key pillar points that feel right. And in the background, we've been building all manner of tools to make sure that we can really scale this and we can launch this around the world because it's got to be resonate as clearly in whatever country it exists in. They all have fantastic teams that have got to manipulate this and use it and convey very specific messages where they might be working. I am satisfied with the answer and I hope our listeners are too. So starting to sum up our conversation with some final thoughts, let's start with you, Noel. What was the most exciting aspect of designing Pinterest Sands? For me, the most exciting aspect of it was to translate all these personality traits that the typeface should have into typographic language, which is also my job to do that. I mean, not only designing it, but also like educating the client and explaining how we actually accomplish that. And then doing that with such a big team on, on my side and on the side of Pinterest. And just to be clear that the project is also actually not quite finished. We're just finishing first round of uh, language extensions together with Simon and my team and Tanya Anilova, who is doing the Cyrillic for us and is helping us with the Greek, and also with uh, Minako and her team in Tokyo from Thai Project, who are doing the Japanese uh, extension for Pinterest Sense. It's not only interesting to do like the first part, batch, which is the Latin part, but also now expanding it on a global scale and to like continue the collaboration with Pinterest and also getting to see how all those aspects can be included in other scripts and how those experts are doing that then with us. That's insane to think that what you already did is only barely scratching the surface of the work needed to be done because it's such a comprehensive type family to start with just in the Latin alphabet. So it's interesting to hear how, how much work is still needed. Alistair, on your end, what was the most exciting aspect of working on this project? Taking the obvious, 
working with a brand that you use on a daily basis is always really exciting and rewarding, particularly when it's one that touches so many people's lives in a positive way. Without wanting to sound very philosophical, the opportunity to represent a platform that allows people to dream, plan and create is almost the perfect creative opportunity. For us, it was the perfect project, really. That was just the right amount of philosophical. Thank you for keeping it within that right amount. Simon and James, what is the most exciting aspect for you about this identity moving forward? Well, I think the most exciting part of a project for me personally is I love going into the chrysalis. Like I've always loved it when you take a bunch of stuff into the chrysalis and you start to work out what it is that needs to change before you sort of re-emerge as a butterfly. And you just hope the butterfly is something that is going to work in the in the world in some instances. And I think the most exciting part about this thing, we've all gone into this big chrysalis and we've had a ton of amazing insight and input and collaboration with so many amazing people around the world to try and make sure that what we emerge as is going to be something that helps frame something that people feel real ownership of and feel real real sort of control over and it's a real representation of who they are. So I'm really excited to keep shepherding that and keep stewarding that and making sure that we give it the oxygen that it needs to make sure that people get the benefit that they should be getting out of Pinterest. That was pushing the envelope philosophically, by the way, with the chrysalis, but we'll allow it because you made a really good point and it's a nice way of thinking about a rebrand, kind of like really embracing and going into that process and then coming out on the other end. Well done. Interesting metaphor. <laughs> Simon. No metaphors for me, but I'll say that what's been most exciting for me has been just to see the various interpretations of this identity within our team and our partners that we've been working with, that it's not like we hand this off and everyone says, all right, I got to follow the exact guidelines and do, you know, beat for beat what was done in the case study and everything, but actually how we've been riffing off this and been surprised by things people have made and experiments that have been done. So it's been just really refreshing to see that, oh, great, this is working that we're not kind of shackled to a certain set of standards that the brand must live by going forward, but this is really taking on a life of its own, which has been very fun to, to bring to life. The last thing that, to just sort of add to that is, I think that there are many people that will be listening to this that will be asking or thinking about the guidelines and the rules that are set up to try and control this and maintain it and ensure that it's consistent. One of the things we're really wrestling with is how do we make this less about asking permission and more about empowering people and equipping people with the optimism, the energy, the inspiration to go out and represent the brand, but take ownership of it. And how much flexibility can we introduce to get people to push this further and away from things that we might expect or, or design right now, which is a really interesting way to think about how do you build this and continue to manage this moving forward. To add to James's point there, Something we haven't really talked about, but we've touched on is the colour principles behind the brand. And I think that's really representative of actually what James is talking about in that it's one of those rare occasions where we almost present something that could be in the conventions of a traditional brand book or playbook, an absolute headache. Colour, super subjective. But then the guys at Pinterest actually came back within about the space of a week off the back of some of our concepts with a new tool. So a piece of technology that actually empowered the user to almost not have to make the decision, but still generate a beautiful combination of colours. It really interesting use of technology to actually create something that is almost infinitely expandable and puts the power in the hands of the people that are actually using it on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, I think that's a good segue into my closing. This was a great conversation that you all shared how complex this process was, how it reflected the complexity of the challenge at hand and how it was solved through what comes across as simple design solutions, but there's nothing simple about them. There's just like really good thinking behind them. It empowers the team to 
as you mentioned, James, to explore and be empowered to take it in new directions with their own personality. And I hope that we do see this brand come alive in product, in marketing, on other social media platforms, whatever it is. I do want to see more of those tableaus, more of that italic typeface, and more of those color palettes out into the real world. Thank you, Simon, James, Alistair, and Noel for joining me on the follow-up today. Thank you, Armin. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. This has been a fun chat. Yeah, thanks, guys. Enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks, Armin. And thanks, everyone else. It's been fun. One thing we didn't expect to learn today was the popularity of cowhide satchels in Switzerland. And you are correct in thinking that we googled that the minute this recording was over and expect you to do the same. Beyond that, this was a great conversation that, among many things, highlighted how beneficial it is when an in-house team brings in an outside agency that isn't mired in the day-to-day needs and operations and can offer a fresh perspective. Paired with the involvement and know-how of the in-house team, the results can be quite powerful, as was the case here. To take a cue from the metaphor offered by James, For 44 minutes, we went into a Pinterest chrysalis and have all emerged as beautiful butterflies ready to spread our wings in. Start yet another Pinterest board. Today, thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll be here. We hope you'll be there.